Good to see all of you, and very special welcome to all our visitors today. Um, I know that the devil is always working, and uh, he uh, sometimes tries to uh, outsmart us. And that's the result what you see on the screen. <laughs> but um, um, finally, I decided that we would not make any adjustment just to disturb the service, but please uh, bear with us. When it comes to a picture, you, you won't lose too much. When it comes to some text, I will read those texts, so you won't lose practically anything. Just you need to adjust your eyes to uh, to this uh, setting. And before we open the Word of God this morning, I'd like to invite my lovely wife Martha to come up and recite the poem. Good morning and happy Sabbath all of you. You have heard this poem the last time. I'm going to share this with you again. It has such a deep message. Just listen to it. Yesterday, Today and Tomorrow by Helen Steiner Rice. Yesterday is dead. Tomorrow is unborn, so there is nothing to fear and nothing to mourn. For all that is past and all that has been can never return to be lived once again. And what lies ahead or the things that will be are still in God's hands. So it is not up to me to live in the future that is God's great unknown. For the past and the present, God claims for his own. So all I need to do is to live for today and trust God to show me the truth and the way. For it's only the memory of things that have been, and expecting tomorrow to bring trouble again that fears my today, which God wants to bless with uncertain fears and borrowed distress. For all I need is to live for this one little minute. For life is here and now, and eternity is in it. Amen. I'd like to invite all of you to bow your heads for 
and opening prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the book of Daniel. This is a very special book in the Bible. And if we consider the book of Revelation, we cannot really understand it without the book of Daniel. And Daniel chapter 2 is especially important part. Some weeks ago, we started a study on Daniel, and now we come to chapter 2. We covered part of chapter 2, but we come to this great image that the Lord of Lords showed to King Nebuchadnezzar over 2,600 years ago. And it gives us the big picture. The big picture of the, of human history. And Lord, as we consider this beautiful illustration given to this king, we help us, I mean, we ask you to help us to become humble in hearts and would really follow this teaching and understand more about your greatness, how you conduct how you lead human history. And as we open your word, we ask you to open our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. So you probably heard quite a number of sermons on Daniel chapter 2. And you might say there is nothing new in chapter 2. Well, the, the point I'd like to make from the beginning, that Daniel chapter 2 is a big picture. And we have a saying, don't be lost in the small details. And so this is a lesson for this morning that we will see the big picture. I hope it's working. I know Suri is helping me from the background and I just probably need a little more practice, but uh, just bear with me. If the picture is there, then what you see is Daniel chapter 2, when God shows the big picture. In our previous study, we covered Daniel chapter 2 a little bit, saying that when God reveals secrets... And if you go back to chapter 1 of Daniel, there was another title, When God Remains Silent. So we come to this point when God revealed the big picture. What was the background? What was the context? Well, there was a man, and he his name was Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, in the 6th, 7th century B.C. And this ruler, he was a very successful man, a military man as well as a good organizer. He was establishing a new empire which we call the New Babylonian Empire. And the date was 605 B.C. 
and he just started his rulership. And of course, as, as every ruler, he wanted to know what comes after him. How long will last his ruling and who is coming after him. And of course, he probably had an idea or at least a wish to know a little bit more of the future. And so God gave him a dream. You see almost the whole picture, the big image. And when he saw this image and probably heard something, by next morning it seems that he forgot it, almost the whole dream. So he had a request. He gathered all his wise men and he explained to them that there is something you need to um, give back to me. First of all, the dream itself. Secondly, you need to give me an explanation. And of course, nobody could really explain the dream. And so they finally said that only the gods would know what the dream was, but they don't live with humans. So they betrayed themselves who pretended they had a connection with the divine, and now they had to admit that they have no connection at all because they have no divine revelation of this dream. And the story goes that Daniel and his friends went to the king, and Daniel asked for some time. Time to pray. And he gathered all his friends, and they prayed. And as we know, prayer has a powerful impact. And we need to remember those people who are going through some disaster in the next few hours or maybe days. And please remember our own family, our oldest son, and um, and his family, Robert and his family, including our little Lily, the granddaughter Lily. They couldn't fly up to uh, Ohio yesterday because... She had to go through another test yesterday. And all the airports are closed today, so they cannot fly. They just have to be in Florida, uh, close to Orlando, and then uh, going through some difficult times. Not only the sickness, but a, na- a natural disaster as well. But coming back to this story, it seems that God was really helping Daniel and his friends and On that night, the following night, he had the same dream. And so next morning, he was taken to the king. And if we read these few Bible verses, uh, Daniel chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Daniel chapter 2, but it will be uh, shown on the screen as well. Daniel chapter 2, and verses 27, 28, and then 30. Where Daniel outlined some principles, at least three major principles. We need to remember these. First of all, in verse 27, he said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. So when it comes to divine revelation, human wisdom simply ends. There is nothing what we 
based on our own knowledge or our own understanding and maybe based on science could give us an explanation. So this is principle number one. Number two is, he said in verse 28, chapter 2, Daniel, uh, verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter or last days. This is principle number two that God is the only being who knows the future. So please never go to fortune tellers. They will not be able to tell you the future. Because the future (coughs) is in the hand of God. So this is principle number one. And whenever God decides to reveal, then he would do so. Maybe not so much of the details as we wished. But he is giving you and me the big picture. And so the uh, principle number three is, it says in verse 30 that this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king that you may know or understand the thoughts of your heart. So why is God revealing the big picture? There are two purposes. One is that his servants could give an interpretation. Second, the king would understand what is in his heart. So revelation always serves that dual purpose. It gives the wisdom to those who explain a dream or a vision. And it also helps those who can understand better their own thoughts and their own way of thinking. So Daniel started explaining the story, which was a huge statue, a huge image. You see this image here? And if you look at a little bit closer, then it seems that this statue was made up of different metals. If you go to the head, the head was made of gold, symbolizing Babylon. There was the world empire in the 6th and uh, 7th century, beginning with 605 BC, but it ran only about 62 years or so, and by 539, this huge empire ended. But Daniel explained to the king that you are the head of gold. Your Empire is the first, and it's the most precious. But there was another part of the body, the chest and arms of silver, 
symbolizing Medo-Persia. There was ruling from 539 to 331 BC. There was a little over 200 years. There was a longer period of time, and there was a big empire, much bigger in territory than Babylon. And we know this was a very interesting historical fact that when they surrounded the city, the city of Babylon was built on on the river of Euphrates, on the two banks of the river, but was surrounded by a huge wall. The wall was so high and so wide that two chariots could run parallel on the top of the wall. And the wall was built above the river. The only way to occupy or to overcome the city was to do something with water. So the maid Darius decided to do something and uh, using his slaves, they dug a, a river, another uh, river bed for the river. They directed the river so they could use the empty river bed to go under the walls and then occupy the city. And that's exactly what happened in 539 B.C. And, of course, this picture of drying up Euphrates is a picture which appears later in which book? In Revelation. It has a symbolic meaning, but it goes back to this chapter, Daniel chapter 2. And we need to remember that some of the symbolism in Daniel and Revelation uh, go back to chapter 2. So this is the big picture. Then what happened next? There was a third empire, the belly and the sides of bronze, symbolizing Greece. There was ruling between... 331 and 168. There was, again, a longer period of time, but we need to know something. The man who established this third empire, uh, his name was Alexander. Alexander the Great, as we know him, Uh, His uh, soldiers believe that he is more than human. So he was practically honored almost as as a semi-god. And we know that it took him about 10 years, no more than 10 years, to really conquer all the huge territory, beginning with modern Greece, and then moved down to Egypt, then to Syria, and Iraq, and then uh, Iran, the, uh, the modern Iran, up to the, the border of India. So try to imagine a huge empire, and as far as we know, he never lost a battle. He was the only commander in human history who never lost a battle, but he lost something. After 10 years of expansion, nobody knows really what happened to him. But he was at the age of 33 when he suddenly died. 
And so his, his uh, empire was divided into four smaller empires, and they lasted until 168 BC. When the third, em- or the fourth empire appeared, uh, in, uh, human history, that was symbolized by the legs of iron. Giving us an interesting picture of, of an empire which was from the beginning divided. But it lasted for a very long period of time, at least the western part or one leg of the empire between 168 BC and AD 476. The eastern part of the empire even lasted for another almost a thousand years. And then the whole empire collapsed. When you think about Caesar Augustus, this is his statue. You can, you can uh, see it in Rome. He was the one whose time Jesus was, uh, was born. And the reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem, because he issued a census. And we know from scripture that that was during the reign of Caesar Augustus. But then something else we can notice if you look at this huge statue, go down to the toes or the feet, partly of iron and partly of clay, which would signify a divided Europe from 476 A.D. It's a divided continent, and I know from my own experience, I was born in Europe, I raised in Europe, so I know that this continent had suffered so much because of the invasion of the barbaric tribes. They invaded the Roman Empire, and of course what we see now in Europe is a completely different picture. We know that there are monarchs still in Europe, and the families are intermarried, trying to keep a kind of balance. And one of those rulers who wanted to unite Europe, so try to imagine the ten, ten toes, partly clay, partly iron, partly strong, and partly very weak and fragile, he wanted to, there was Bonaparte and Napoleon, he lived in 1769 and then 1821, he was only 52 years old when he died, and he conquered the whole world, at least what he tried, but when it came to 1815, and then June 18, there was a battle at Waterloo, which he lost finally, and so he was exiled, sent to exile to a small island in the Atlantic Ocean, St. Helena, and that's, he died in uh, six years after he was sent to exile in 1821. He was only 52 years old, and he practically lost everything, including his own life. But if you look at the history of Europe, there were other monarchs. 
and rulers, including Hitler himself, who tried to do the same thing. But the Bible is giving us a principle that these divided toes. And I, I need to tell you something. It's not, the main point is not about the ten. But the division is the main point. So we live, we, we have more than ten nations in Europe, of course, in the territory of the Roman Empire. So we, we don't need to stick to the numbers, but we need to see something. This huge empire, the Roman Empire, was divided and the territory remains divided, although something is happening or has happened and did happen in 1993 where the European Union was formed with 28 member states. Do you think this union would save the unity of the continent? Well, I have some questions because if the picture is right and if we can say that God gave us the big picture of human history, that's what it stands. So we had Babylon, we had Medo-Persia, we had Greece, we had Rome. Then the invasion of the barbaric tribes coming from Asia. They practically divided this huge empire and Europe is still divided. So what's coming next? Do we have some time left? What do you think? What do we have left? Another try and another try to unite that part of, of the world? Well, the story explains that there was something which destroyed this whole picture. And I'd like you to turn with me to to Daniel chapter 2. Because there was something which the prophet explained to the king as it came to this huge rock. What is this rock? Uh, please turn with me to Daniel chapter 2 and in verses 34 and in 35. Daniel is speaking to the king and he says, You watched while the stone was cut out without hands, which is a description that it was a, a divine intervention. It was not something human, but God was stepping in human history. So you watched while a stone was cut out with, without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chef from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And a stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So the stone that struck the image at the most fragile part became a great mountain. 
and fill the whole earth. But of course the question is, what does it symbolize? Well, the explanation is found in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44. It says, in the days of these kings, meaning the ten, the ten toes, these kings, the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom which, number one, shall never be destroyed. So it's not going to be another world empire. It shall never be destroyed. uh, Number two, shall not be left to another people like it happened in the in the case of uh, Alexander the Great his empire was left to his commanders number 3 shall break in pieces or crush and consume or put an end to all these kingdoms so that will practically finish human history and i think there is something good in that that part of the picture that it will not be a nuclear war or it will not be an overall natural disaster that would destroy this globe but it says that it will break in pieces or crush all these kingdoms and number four it shall stand forever And to understand what this stone symbolizes is that there is a New Testament allusion to Daniel chapter 2 and then verse 44. Because it says it shall stand forever. The same allusion is found in Matthew 21 and Luke 20 and verse 18. And that's where I am quoting this. What you see on the screen, whoever falls on that stone, Jesus is quoting the book of Daniel, falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So when it comes to the stone, we have two options. If we fall on the stone... That would symbolize that our old self would die. Okay, but if we wait a little longer, and I think what's going on in in human history at this point, it's a loud cry that we don't have that much time left. So, on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. It will be the final destruction. So how long are you going to wait? How long do we think we need to have and we can enjoy some good time? Because when it comes to a stone and a stone falls, it's something of a very quick movement. So the very last things in human history would happen very quickly, very rapidly. And sometimes we don't think about that. But then, if we want to summarize everything, we need to remember at least five principles. 
It shows principles to remember. Number one, human wisdom is insufficient to reveal the future. This is Daniel 2.27. Human wisdom is insufficient. We cannot gather enough knowledge to predict the future. Although some try, but it's not possible. Principle number two, only God can reveal the future. He is the only one who can and sometimes he will, but it doesn't mean that he he will reveal all the details. In most cases, he gives us the big picture. And principle number three is that human history shows a decreasing moral value. Because it says in verse 39, chapter 2, verse 39 and 40, but after you, meaning the, the head of gold, Daniel said, after, after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to you, to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom, and so on. And he's saying that there will be inferior kingdoms, not because of the time span or the territory, but they will be inferior because the moral standards will be decreasing. So there is a moral decline in human history, and this is something alarming if you look around uh, in, in current society, any kind of European, American, or Asian society, there is a decrease in moral values. And the principle number four is unity based on human efforts will never succeed. Never succeed because it says that the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. So there is no unification. This is simply impossible to unite this world again. And then principle number five is that God's kingdom will stand forever. If you go back to verse 44, as we read before, I just, I'm repeating it. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Second thing, the kingdom shall not be left to another people. Number three, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And then number four is it shall stand forever. And that's the kingdom we we are waiting for. How about you? What do you think about this kingdom? You know, this kingdom will never be destroyed. How do we know that? 
Well, we, we need to move to the very last book of the Bible. And please turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 22. And I'm reading verses 3, 4, and 5. This will be the concluding Bible verse. Revelation 22 and then verses 3, 4, and 5. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. This is going to be the end of human history. And I think that's the kingdom we are all marching towards. And I just want to encourage all of you, please never be lost in the small details. This big picture, which was revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar and later to Daniel and, of course, to us, doesn't give you or me all the details of the Roman Empire, for instance, or the Babylonian Empire, because from that perspective, that does not really matter. What matters is that there will be four, and that there were four huge empires in human history, and of course, not everything is included. Think about China. China has been there for thousands of years. And being a huge empire. But in this picture, this big picture, China, for instance, is not included. United States is not included in this picture. But the purpose was to show Daniel that in connection to his own people, there will be four huge empires. And at the end of the fourth, there will be a big division. And we live in the world which is partly strong and partly very, very weak. You cannot combine iron and clay. It would never stick together. Who can solve this whole trouble? God himself. And he will solve it. And that's the good news. So, to John, God revealed that there will be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. Talking about the new Jerusalem. And his servants will be there serving him. They have the greatest privilege, human humans have ever experienced to see the face of God. And I think this is the most beautiful part in, in this, uh, this chapter. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night, no lamp, nor the light of the sun. 
because God will give them light. And then that's the kingdom. They shall reign forever and ever. And that's my prayer this morning that our good Lord would help all of us to always remember the, the big picture and see that God is leading human history. These small pieces cannot be put together anymore. But God will create something new. And that will be the kingdom which would stand forever. And that's my prayer that our good Lord would would help us, would support us, would lead us to his eternal kingdom. Amen. We have uh, the closing hymn will be six ninety, six ninety. Oh, they changed it. Two one six. Two one six. They changed it. I'm sorry.
Let us bow our heads for a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this big picture. It doesn't give us all the details we might be curious about. We might have a temptation to speculate. But one thing is for sure that we cannot predict the future. This is a picture given by God. It is not based on human wisdom. And human wisdom is insufficient to describe the future. But it also gives us a bright future. A future when we can see you face to face. When we can spend all eternity with you. I will be time no more. Will be darkness no more. Will be no more curse. More sickness. Or death. Because you will be the king of kings. And as we come very close to the end of human history, we ask you, Lord, to help us to see this big rock and understanding that Jesus is coming back. This rock will have an impact that would destroy everything which belongs to the old realm, the old age, and you would recreate this world beautiful without sin. Lord, we want to thank you for this picture and help us to remember that you are the Lord of lords. You are the King of kings. And your kingdom shall stand forever. Help us, Lord, to be there, to be in your kingdom. And we want to thank you for your precious promises. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.